We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. This show's a lot of fun because they have such obscene wealth that they can sort of do whatever the hell they want with it. And so the idea of of buying amusement parks and flying to China to do baptisms and wave pools, like as a writer, there's like nothing off the table. You're sort of like, well, this is a dumb idea, but not to them it wouldn't be. The Righteous Gemstone star and executive producer Danny McBride says the sky's the limit in portraying the obscenely wealthy megachurch family on the HBO comedy. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Danny McBride about The Righteous Gemstones and how the star decided to rewrite season two after the pandemic shut down. But first, our Award Circuit Roundtable is back and discussing the Emmy drama category and much, much more. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hi, everyone. I think we forgot how to do this, but we're back. I am Michael Schneider, TV editor at Variety, along with Emily Longaretta, who is killing it with our Emmy issues out now. You guys have to see her picture. Her picture in it is gorgeous. She (laughs) did a photo shoot. She's pretty much, it's the next cover photo. I'm calling for it. I went into a full photo shoot of of me. Yeah, it was awesome. It's it's LinkedIn worthy. Yeah, LinkedIn worthy. Uh, You should get a digital badge for it. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. NFT. NFT. Oh my God, (laughs) NFT. That's all going well right now. (laughs) We've got uh, Artisan's Guru, Jazz Tanke, back. Hello, hello, hello. And Emily, you are killing it with the extra editions. Thank you. Well, Jazz wrote a lot of every every single one. She wrote a ton of it. So shout out to you for helping me out with that. Got her fingers on the pulse. Fingers on the pulse. Mm -hmm. And finally, back... From the south of France, Sea Dog himself, the one Bonsoir. and only Clayton Davis. <laughs> Bonsoir, bonjour, and we, oui. and that's it. That's what I all learned. of the above. All, that's what I learned. Those three terms. Clayton, all I saw were photos of you and Team Variety and your tuxes hanging out on on the the French Riviera, just having the time of your lives. Yes, it was a lot of fun because there were movies to be seen, but there was not air conditioning to be had, which is BS. How are you like one of the oldest festivals in the world and you have all your main premieres at a place that has no air conditioner? Yeah, that's not That's great. a European thing, to be fair. Like, they like sweaty growth. Global warming, like AC is was really uncommon. And then it got really hot. And it's like, oh, what are we going to do? We have AC in half these buildings. As soon as the lights go down, you see people ripping their clothes off. It becomes a strip. <laughs> <a> strip <laughs> like ripping everything off because it's gross. Well, you survived can with no AC. I did. Yeah, yeah. Clay, Clayton repping the, the the white tux, by the way. We we should mm-hmm. discuss. Uh, so, so... Uh, <laughs> yes. So I heard all these stories about can being uh, strict on the red carpet. And uh, I was told that you have to wear a tux and you have to wear a bow tie, not a regular tie, a bow tie, which is which I usually don't rock bow ties. It's not usually my thing, but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And on day one, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick premiere, I was pulled off the carpet because I was wearing a white tux and I was told that men can only wear black and blues. <laughs> so I would thank God I was with our executive editor, Ramin, and he said, 
what are you talking about? It doesn't say that anywhere. And then he quickly went into his phone and whipped out a picture of Ryan Gosling. Cause you know how him and I look like, um, whipped out a picture of Ryan Gosling and showed the guy, dude, this is Ryan Gosling on the red carpet in a white tux. And the guy said, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then a white man, blonde hair, blue eyes, walked right by us, but white tux didn't get stopped. Didn't get, wasn't in. stopped. Well, just, yeah. just, just went inside and I was like, oh, and I point, I was like, look him. And then he went, okay, hold on. And then that was it. And then, uh, <laughs> and then you went in, you were allowed. And, in. and then I was allowed in after a minute, but it was, it wasn't everything. It looked like I like had snuck in because, you know, there's a huge crowd there to see Tom Cruise and they just see this man being pulled off to the side. Not okay. Not I'm sorry. Only to then I'm be sorry, put in, only then to be put in heat, heat of a room <laughs> with no air conditioner. So I was extra agitated. But yeah. then you saw the movie. But then I saw Top Gun Maverick, which made yeah. a gajillion dollars. Right? It was I heard that. I heard that's the exact that's figure? the exact number. Gajillion. Gajillion. Right? Um, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Oh, look at Mike say. watching movies. I'm so proud of him. Look at you. <laughs> now, I still haven't. I need to make a trip to the to what you guys call a movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're fine. You probably wouldn't have gotten a ticket anyway. It took me right. like what an hour to get five tickets for my family and Jen. I was like, I just want to like this is is this what it's like going back to the movie theaters? Like, yeah, it was like hell. There's, but it's there's, there's so there's so few movie houses left because they're closing all over. This is very sad times. So speaking very big terms to not ruin this for Emily, Michael, do you think yes. that I think that one of the one of the things that the movie does best is perfectly stitch the time period that like what's gone on between 1986 and right now, like the growth of the characters like feels really authentic. And like, I was so worried about the Val Kilmer of it all. And they handled that really, really well. They handled it really well. They handled a lot of things really well. His relationship with uh, Jennifer uh, Connelly, I think was handled. Who is hot (laughs) as hell. Like what? Doesn't age. Doesn't like I was just just like Tom Cruise. Neither of them age. That is true. Tom Cruise is going to be 60 this year, guys. Yeah. That's insane. That whole That's cast is just filled with like people drinking vampire blood or something because I don't understand. They all look so good. But you know what? Best part, we have now accepted that Tom Cruise is shorter than all his co-stars because they do yes. not make they don't make Miles Teller lean <laughs> next to him <laughs> or anything like that. He is clearly towering over this man. Yeah. By the way, you know what was perfect about sorry, to, to your point, you know what was perfect about that film is like right at the from the get-go, like they hit all the nostalgic spots with that opening. And I'm not gonna ruin it for Emily, but like when they show him in, in his hangar working on the plane and you see his wall and it shows you exactly like where he is and the whole goose factor. And that's yeah. the the glue that kind of says this is where he's at now and yeah, Emily, you need well, to see a, it they, so we can... They did a good job. Excited. I mean, Miles Teller looks like Anthony Edwards as Goose. Yeah. yeah. And with I the never mustache thought, and the glasses. It's I really never, astounding. I never, I never thought so until I was watching the movie. I was like, oh, you are Goose. <laughs> like, yeah. look at you. <laughs> you are Goose. Spoiler alert, Emily, it opens up in the danger zone. Well, my my favorite jazz jazz has done a bunch of stories about this, but my favorite story she's done is the fact that Kenny Loggins apparently re-recorded Danger Zone, and the filmmakers were like, "Eh, we'll stick with the original. Like we're good. <laughs> yeah, we're no. good. We we don't need a jazzy like 2022 <laughs> version of Danger Zone. Just give us 1986 Kenny Loggins." <laughs> That's that was so funny. I was like, because when he goes, he re-recorded. I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, is that what we hear in the film? He goes, no, what you hear in the film is the original because the newer version sounded too clean and crisp. And because they hit the nostalgia, they were like, yeah, everybody just agreed that they'd stick to the original. I was like, oh my gosh. Even with what's it playing with boys, which is what they use in the basket in the volleyball scene, he he re-recorded a different version for that with a female vocalist and even that was just mixed so it's out there yeah. somewhere like, they were like please stop re-recording just <laughs> kenny loggins that's it for 2022 he does like a uh reggaeton version of danger zone it's like kenny no no just don't it's every genre yeah <laughs> it's a rap version <laughs> exactly so that was great oh clayton muted all of a sudden or is he just not talking to us anymore I think he's just not speaking right now. 
Clayton is is, is focused on focused. Oh, he's He's entering the danger zone for his life. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's in the danger zone right now. (laughs) Sounds fucking. Well, so we've been off for two weeks because it's been crazy busy. Upfronts also happened. Uh, I was in New York and managed to knock on wood, not get COVID, which and apparently Clayton didn't either from Cannes. So I mark that as a win. Yeah. But about and to Mike, you and I are about to hit the road together. So I'm nervous. And I'm a little nervous. We're heading to Austin for a TV festival or ATX. And I, I haven't gotten COVID yet. I have escaped oh. the COVID bug fully. So I am very scared that this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well... Be careful, especially because we're going to Texas. So, and yeah. I, I don't think, I think they haven't been wearing masks in like a year and a half. So, yeah, I'm doubling mm. up. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be wearing like a full face mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I've got more travel the following week. So, I really can't get COVID. Are you, so, are you work travel or personal travel? Work travel. So it's tis the season for TV conventions. So doing we're, we're doing Austin ATX next weekend, and then I'm going to Banff for the Banff World Media Festival the following week. It is tis tis the season. So, but that should be exciting. Emily, what are you uh, moderating at ATX? I am doing the Universal UCP is presenting a funny AF panel, so that should be really fun. There's Kai Robinson is on it, Ed Helms is on it, so I'm sure it'll be pretty a really good time uh, so we have that one i'm doing conversations around consent with nick weschler about building sex scenes and working with intimacy coordinators and that should be interesting um something he actually pitched so should be fun what else do we got i think there's one oh i'm also doing a monarch panel because that's been a pilot for a few years now that we've been waiting to see so <laughs> it'll get off the ground this year oh my gosh finally that show's coming out right it feels like forever <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time coming. And what do you what do you got, Mike? You got some real you you're doing a real fun one. Well, I'm doing the Scrubs reunion panel, which mm-hmm. I'm excited about. And also as we see it, Amazon show Love with Jason Catums. So so that should be fun. That's but, very fun. Yeah. So so that's that's happening. But in the meantime, we are we are now entering speaking the danger zone. We're entering the Emmy danger zone. Highway <laughs> to the nomination voting. And uh oh my gosh. <laughs> Can you please make that our opening opening on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eligibility period has ended. It's June, and that means we're just days away from voting. And the pressure is on right now. The scramble is was yeah, nuts for print. Is you saw like you actually wrote it in your newsletter about like hey can you do this feature can you do this feature like sorry honey that was closed weeks ago months ago we're still getting pitches it's June (laughs) listen love you all love your shows but it's June and if if you don't think this is all filled up by now then you must think we're slackers because no this is this train has left the station and. And uh, like, yeah, no, it we, doesn't. Even, it didn't even just leave the station. Like it's already on to the next town. We've like fully <laughs> left. Like we are not even in sight anymore. Yeah. Oh goodness. But that there Clinton's is that scramble. Problem. Yeah. We're having some. We're having some technical difficulties. We're like here. vamping without Clayton. You know. Notice it's. It's like <laughs> Clayton has to. <laughs> but like, how many? How many panels are you getting asked to moderate? I mean, there's so many panels. And you're just like, I can't clone myself. It's impossible. I'm pretty I'm pretty excited. In a few weeks, I have Sex Life of College Girls, which should be a really fun panel oh, to yeah. moderate. Because that's a good group. Yeah, no, I'm like, I feel like you're all over the place. Yeah, and it's been a mix of uh, still a lot of virtual panels and then some yeah. in-person ones. So it's 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 kind of a fun mix. And and then you notice like so many shows have multiple panels. So there's always that moment where you're like, well, I did the definitive panel, right? I mean, there's nothing better than this. And then a week later you see, oh, they've moved on. They've got another moderator. It's, it's like they're cheating on me. It's like, yeah. fine, you've got a new cooler moderator, what, whatever. I guess I guess I was just a moment in time. But nonetheless, I have a panel right after this. I'm doing another FYC one for um, some reality TV stuff. So that should be fun. Enjoys. 
I'm doing We Crashed on Friday night in person, which will be fun. Oh, fun. Well, that should be. So, yeah, well, so the, the, all the last minute uh, campaigning's happening because it all wraps up by the time voting starts, uh, I believe it's on the 16th. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're kind of in the, the final weeks. And so everyone's doing their last minute uh, events as well. I know Hulu's passing out, Only Murders in the Building, Dima's Dips. You yeah. can go grab some or some actual mm. green juice from the dropout. I think Amazon was doing some sort of, uh, was it? popcorn or they're they're passing out something Mm. but yeah it's now now's the time that uh, if you're a tv academy voter member you could eat well and be entertained i got some i got some very delicious donuts delivered to my door yesterday oh Oh, i got those too cleaning lady (laughs) yeah (laughs) very good yeah i had a good donut in a long time and i was like this is a nice a nice treat sk donuts are so good and you're just like wait who who are these for all? It's like nice job. Oh yeah. my goodness! Did we there have the return of the one and only? I there he is. Yes, yes. I hate, I hate Max so much, so much, <laughs> so much, so much. It's just like no one ever. Like and then and it's funny. We were just talking about like how we can't update anything, and Zoom decided to update. Like oh, and then like my microphone disconnected oh. like on its own. I was like, thanks, but I can't get these other things. All right, good. I'm sorry. Last thing I I said was danger zone, and that was like the like, last thing. Well, Mike, you missed Mike singing. Mike singing. Mike no. singing. Yeah, it's you're, gonna be our new intro. Yeah, you're gonna have to go back and and listen to the podcast now. Clearly. Yeah, no, I, 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 I will. I will. Sub- subscribe to Award Circuit Podcast <laughs> wherever you get podcasts. Stream it. It's it's good. You don't even go here. Yeah. So, well, why don't we uh, why don't we get to a category? First off, uh, I guess the big news this week was they're getting rid of the the hanging episodes rule, which we were just talking about. So, so time of recording, this just dropped today. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys did that quick read through. And it's funny because we were just talking about this because what's interesting is that Stranger Things is like the big question because they have two episodes coming in July. July 1st on my birthday, they gave me a birthday gift. And we are pretty sure that we are not going to get season five in 2022, 2023 eligibility year. So based on these new rules, those two episodes can only compete in tech categories, in the artisan races, not acting or drama series. And they can't make the switch to TV, movie, or limited. Right, which I think was probably going to be the case even before this hanging rule change, but now it makes it even more for sure that these are orphaned episodes, sort of like uh, you know what uh, happened with Handmaid's Tale a couple of years ago. Just these these hanging episodes, the the not hanging but orphaned episodes. Yeah, that there's not much you can do with them because they don't really fit anywhere. So, do you remember what Euphoria did with their one-offs? Was that because that was that during their because that was an in between, right? That the that there's those standalone episodes. Came. Right. Right. Those were specials. Honestly, I don't remember what they did with those. Yeah. So, I mean, cause now, cause now it becomes, cause now I, I, my mind starts going, there's gotta be like a place for them to compete because where we live in a world where like black lady sketch show and SNL compete in sketch series, but they're actors competing, competing comedy and even variety talk series like Jimmy Fallon, they submit for guest acting comedy for their guests. Like George Clooney got, is going to be submitted for a guest actor in a comedy because he had an appearance. Why can't we figure this part of it out? Honestly, what's funny is that this is happening on Netflix, but it's Netflix that actually we changed the rules because of all the black mirror stuff. Well, the the problem with with Stranger Things is that it's a series. So live in front of a studio audience, it's like a it's a special, it's a movie. So so they can go and limit it. But you can't suddenly with those two orphaned episodes switch and stick Sadie Sink into a limited category because they've already said no. This is a series. This is episodes, uh, what seven and eight or eight and nine. Yeah. So so they can't go back. Oh nope, they're actually TV movies. Yeah. No, nope, sorry, this well, is part well, of season yeah. four then I think they should just let the actors compete. If you don't want to let it compete in drama series, then sure, I can kind of be on board because the rule is you have to have six episodes. But the actors should be able to compete because when nominations are announced, they submit one episode only, right? Right. So they'll have, at minimum, one because there's two. 
I, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. Like, it's I, it's, this, a, it's this, a slippery slope. It, it is. And this, and this is a slippery slope argument. Like they tried so hard to fix limited anthology TV movie and they've gone back and forth about it for the last decade because once they fix one rule, then you handicapped another, you know, entry and gets, it's really messy now. So now this hanging episode thing is now done. Is that, by the way, that's, that goes into effect now this year, correct? No, next year, next year, 2020. Next year. So yeah. you can still have hanging episodes this year. Cause right now we're, we're in the middle of the hanging period. We, we, they couldn't, we couldn't do it. They couldn't do it for now. It wouldn't uh, make- uh, b- yeah. So I'm honestly putting it to the back of my head right now because I'm like, I can't even think <laughs> right, about it. Right. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. We'll deal so with I'll it next year. Next year. But yeah. what's, what's interesting is that under the rules, like if you have hanging episodes and then you have a full season that comes out in that season, they all compete as one. But that's exactly what's happening now. Anyway, Billions is doing that exact thing. They had hanging episodes and their full season and they're all competing together. Yeah, yeah. So if if Stranger Things did manage to get their act together and have season five premiere during the 2022-2023 season, then yeah, those hanging, those those orphaned episodes would just end up combined with season five. And yeah. boom. But yeah. That, I also is- I also don't appreciate you using Sadie Sink as the example. All right, by the way, because I want her nominated now and, and not she might have a discussion be. about it next you year. Never know. Yeah, she might be. I think she could sneak in, honestly. I feel like this is Noah Schnapp part two. During season two, good amount of us convinced ourselves that Noah was going to happen along with David Harbour for season two because he was so good. And now that I think about it, it's the one area that I think young boys have a harder time than younger girls in the acting races because I think there's just like a harder way of having them being quote unquote taken seriously in that space. And also I think that goes along with like the over-sexualization of young girls period in, in Hollywood. And that actually probably, you know, think about TV Academy members, a lot of old dirty men, but, <laughs> I, but, but I, I think, I think this is that instance again, that now Sadie obviously is a young girl, um, but Millie Bobby Brown sucks up a lot of that oxygen for young actor from the show. Right, right. Well, and there, there's also the larger issue. This will be very interesting to see. I mean, this this show premiered right in the final days of eligibility. So does that matter? Does that hurt it? Does that help it? It's the, the jury's still a little out on these last minute premieres and, and what that does for actual nominations. But this will be an interesting test since it really was like the final weekend. I mean, they really like just waited until they were at the finish line. No, I was going to say, Mike, I'm curious because you and I were both at the FYC event on Friday night celebrating that premiere. And, you know, I at the end of the evening when I was waiting outside, people like, you know, they they were genuinely scared by that first episode alone. So I was horrifying. Know. Yeah. And yeah. some of them have brought kids too. And I was just like, what? Like, did you, do you know that this is creepy? Um, so I wonder, yeah. I mean, I just wonder if that might impact the show. Cause this one basically said to me, she's like, I'm not watching the rest of this. If the rest of the series is like, well, this. well, right. And we know that the Academy never very rarely honors horror at all. So I'm curious if that makes it just get ignored. Well, yeah. Going back to the CD sync of it all, especially with her episode, Dear Billy, it's like obviously captured the zeitgeist in such a big way. Sadie actually, I think, maybe ruins the chances of Millie Bobby Brown, who didn't have as much to do this season. I mean, the show still centers around her, but Sadie, all the big moments, you know, by the way, I'm one episode from the end, so don't ruin anything. But uh, Sadie got a lot of the big moments (laughs) right now, you know, so, so far. And Winona Ryder, just quick observation. Why she'll why she's in lead, I'll never know. I know. She's barely ne- in this season. Right. Like, because she's Winona Ryder. She, she's she's a, <laughs> she became the sacrificial lamb. It's like get someone out of the way and throw Winona lead. And like, yeah, the show just hasn't really centered around her. But I do think now, now going back to the actual Emmy race of it all. I think because of the way this is hit, I think it could actually get into drama series now. I've always thought it was bubbling around, but now I think it really could crack into the eight. Where I mean, who's gonna be the sad p- 
puppy that misses now. I think that like I, as days go on, I get worried for yellow jackets. Like I have nightmares about it. I do because I think this is us is having its moment. Thank God. And you know, it's a really evolving race. Like does euphoria miss out again? Maybe this is why no they way. should move to 10. Mm-hmm. This is why they should move to 10 nominees. That's what I've yeah. been saying. Yeah. Then, then there would be less of an issue, but, I do. This always goes back, back to another podcast. Mike always yeah. had the good idea of go to ten. I yep. mean, this year especially, it feels like there are <laughs> going to be so many snubs. But I do also wonder. You know, we talk about the horror of it all, which would be interesting if if it pushed out Yellow Jackets, given given also sort of the the horror elements of it all. But um, there is that element of the first scene of Stranger Things when you're watching it and you it opens with dead children, blood. Yeah. The timing of that, obviously, is really, truly unfortunate. Netflix has put a disclaimer at the start of that episode. And, yeah. you know, it's it obviously, you know, there, there was nothing they could really do about that. But nonetheless, that is terrible timing for, for yeah. them. And, and it's all you think about when you watch that first scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not even just in that first scene, because there's like a couple episodes where it like kind of re comes back up. I was like, and this just goes back to wait and wait to the last. You haven't watched the, the last, last episode. Oh god, and yeah, yeah. So gory. There's so to, much I'm, of that. I'm gonna prep myself, but this goes back. I had the same argument back when the movie The Last Duel came out last year. I think we are in a time now, especially with the MPA ratings meaning nothing anymore. Essentially, I think we do need disclaimers at the top of every like film or TV show that deals with some difficult subject matter, whether it's like sexual assault, dead children, gunshot, like there are like, we have to be sensitive to that. And we can't assume that the MPA rating is going to do that job for the viewer. So I think if anything, the Netflix model should be adopted by all kind of series. Like just at the top, say what is going to be in this episode, just so people can make that choice then for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think uh, the content ratings, they've added more of that over the years. It yeah. doesn't just say TVMA, it says TVMA, you know, violence, you know, uh, language, nudity, et cetera. But yeah, maybe even get a little more specific would be helpful. Hyperventilation, so. tear jerking, like in This Is Us. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like I think we need to know if I am going to not be able to breathe because the episodes right. are so sad. Right. Right. What's the hanky level? Tissue level. Do I need a paper towel? Like, yeah. Do I need do I need to watch it with my children? Like, whatever. And by the way, with the horror genre of it all, and even though it's not horror, but it's horror-esque, like severance. Like yeah. this severance does body horror stuff. Like, you know, I think TV is really making an evolution right now. And again, just going back to like our need for 10, especially when there's so much content. It would do the Emmys a lot of good, but now mm-hmm. we are going to have a ton of misses. Like there are going to like Yellowstone is still like out there. And I think it's on the bubble. Yeah. Bridgerton, I think is totally on the bubble. Uh, Better Call Saul as having its good moment right now, but you know, in here before. It'll be where- a crime if Better Call Saul doesn't get nominated. Right. Though. Yeah. Really will be. And I, I, you know, I'm feeling good right now. I mean, I'm looking at the the odds makers and they've got Succession, Squid Game, Ozark, Better Call Saul, Yellowstone, Severance, Yellow Jackets, Euphoria, and then Stranger Things, This Is Us. The problem is that's 10. There's only room for eight. So So Stranger Things and This Is Us get cut. Don't be, don't ignore that there could be an Emily in Paris type of thing that happens that makes everyone <laughs> right, upset. We never know. Right. We never know. Because not for nothing, winning time is right there. Yeah. 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 That's true. People do love winning I mean, time. Who knows? People also love like A-listers. So like, who knows? Like the morning show sneaks in there or, you know, the Academy yeah. loves that. So. Or, or it makes the internet happy and Outlander finally gets its moment. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I, the internet I, would break. I, I don't want to give hope to the Twitter stands out there. Like, I really think Outlander's not going to uh, make it. Or, but, or, or Emily gets her moment and Law & Order manages to sneak back in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when's, when's the last time Law & Order? Early 2000s? Is that yeah, what we're going back to? It's been, it's been quite some time. Let's just say, I mean, it should be a Chicago show, not Law & Order. But 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 I'll that's a that's a shift that I'll no. go down. No one but else yeah, th- those those all just cancel each other out though. There's like unfortunately, yeah. Dick it's, Wolf's like I have nine shows on the air, so yeah. unfortunately, my whole shows could fill 
all of the category. That would Next be an interesting year. idea. What if like you could combine them in like the one Chicago and, and Dick just like said, I'm just submitting one Chicago, a three hour I mean, show that yeah, airs yeah. every week. I mean, honestly, he could do one. He could do FBI. It's the three hour Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. Chicago, three hour Wednesdays, Law and Order, three hour Thursdays. Yeah. <laughs> Next was- year, Emily's going to do an the an- a special extra edition dedicated oh, to that. A thousand percent. <laughs> Emily's giving you an idea now, right? Emily's about to get hired as a consultant on Law and Order. <laughs> like that's what's going to happen. They're right. going to have her map out this series. She just got herself a job. Like your your core job is to find a way to get all of those shows nominated <laughs> at the same time <laughs> next yep. year. The yeah, like how, how how can we get Mariska Hargitay back into this category? To be honest, she does deserve a little bit of a little bit more attention than she gets, but that's yeah. besides the point. Can I? Oh, I thought a good thing to talk about to just touch on today because I was talking about this with Emily are the guest categories because we don't really know how that's mapped out yet. And em- Emily and I did some hardcore digging around on like <laughs> who's, on who is a guest and who isn't, <laughs> and so forth and so on. Guest actor comedy is a bloodbath, like an utter bloodbath because mm-hmm. two only murder guys are are i think are going to get in nathan lane and james caverly who will be the first uh could be the first deaf act and the only one deaf person has ever won an emmy in any category in history and it was a producer on a tv movie a long time ago so we've never had an acting winner so they submit boy from 6b like i don't know yeah. how it doesn't happen for him. Um, I also, again, Emily and I went back and forth about like trying to count how many episodes Nathan Lane was in because it makes no sense in our heads that he's in guests. <laughs> it really doesn't because Christopher Walken, man, it's, it's always back to some Walken. Yeah. I, just, I, don't I, know. I also uh, never consider Nathan Lane a guest in anything. Like yeah. I feel like he's mm-hmm. just above that. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I know I'm a writer of it all. Like I just don't consider that. Murderville submitted three guest actors. Conan O'Brien, who I think is going to get in because this episode's the best one, I think. Yeah. And then they submitted Kumail Nanjiani and, um, oh my God, Marshawn Lynch. Lynch. They did not submit Annie Murphy. They did not submit Annie Murphy. And my heart is broken. (laughs) Or Sharon Stone or Ken Jeong. And we don't know who they're submitting for SNL. We have been digging around they never confirm it until we see the list because they traditionally have not submitted everyone they always do maybe 50 percent so and mostly men and mostly men so jared carmichael has to be one of them like they i feel like they would get a lot of yeah. crap if they did not do that and then i'm guessing oscar isaac got submitted his episode was pretty great I'm going to be the stand for getting Kim Kardashian a nomination just because they brought in the best, not even the, not a win, but just because they brought in the top writers for her. And it was very clear. It was hers was hundred percent. The most written, the best written episode if they submitted yeah. her, but there's only six women to submit or nine, six. So yeah, Kim, Tina, uh, not Tina, Fey, Selena Gomez, Billie Eilish. I want to know if they, they traditionally mm. don't submit the female of uh, the, the guests performers that do both lizzo natasha leone probably got submitted because she was a finale yeah. yeah and ariana debose who her episode wasn't great though even though she's having a moment because they, the, right. they let the interns write her episode that's why <laughs> like it, it was clearly like they didn't even try and she has yeah it was whatever that was sad but, that was yes, sad but there's a lot of there's a lot of competition there with so aside from those I got the Murderville hacks. We have Devin Sawa. I'm all for Casper getting an Emmy nom. Mm-hmm. Chris McDonald. And then maybe a Maisel with Leroy McLean. Um, and Bill Hader for Curb Your Enthusiasm because Barry is still out there. And then give, hacks- me Devin, give me Devin Sawa Devin. and hacks all day. I'll take it. I'll take it as <laughs> My well. 90s heart wants that real bad. <laughs> Guess actress comedy. I think. I feel so like bullish right now until proven otherwise that Jane Lynch is going to win an Emmy this year, like for only murders, like especially if she's in season two. Let's be honest, she's the only one that's broken the Glee curse. So let's let her have her moment. I'm just going to say it. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Then you have then you have Jane Adams hacks because she got in last time, but Laurie Metcalf is right there. Mike's main woman, Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, she was so good, Laurie Metcalf. She's getting double nominated. And Quince 
I think Quinta Brunson's going to get in because I think Abbott's going to help her with, and then she's going to get in for Black Lady Sketch Show. And then Tracy Ullman is a staple of Emmys. So curb your enthusiasm, have at it. But then we still have yeah. Tina Fey, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ellie Taylor for Ted Lasso. Oh, Susie Espin for Hacks. Do you think she makes a play? Or do you think she's not in it enough for her episode? Mm. <laughs> Everyone's reluctant. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Not even because she's not in it enough. I just think that everyone else, there's just so many other people that are more prominent. And Jane Krakowski, because Schmigadoon, and she's Jane Krakowski. Oh, Schmigadoon. And then guest drama, two succession ladies are making it, Harriet Walter and Hope Davis. Like, one of those two, I think, is going to win. Martha Kelly from Euphoria is my plea of the year. That woman is everywhere. She, her, like... All over. Pretty spectacular. Um, And then, I think Jackie Weaver is bubbling for Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. She's really great in Yellowstone. Yeah. And then what we have. I could also uh, see Madeline Brewer for Shining Girls. With with a Handmaid's Tale reunion? Yeah. Like it. Any Ozark possibilities? Do you think uh, Jordana Spiro makes a play? People love Ozark. Don't, you know. Actually, here's a good question for you, Emily. Which This Is Us woman gets in guest? What are my. Now I'm like, what are. There's Day Young. Oh, Jennifer Morrison. Alexandra Breckenridge. Breckenridge. Yeah. There's three of them. It's not Alexander Breckenridge because she literally has four words. I mean, she does. It's not even, I don't even remember. Oh, we're losing jazz, by the way. Bye, jazz. Yes. Bye. I have to run. I have a call. Uh, well, maybe That's we should okay. wrap things up now oh, anyway. We're, we're, we're going wrap. over. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap. Oh, and Tom Pelfrey and Coleman Domingo. Go. That's it. They're, they're said. We got, we got, we got everyone. Both great. And Robert England. Right. Let's go. Freddy Krueger. Yes. Yes. Okay. Bye, Jazz. All right. Bye, On guys. that note. Bye. See y'all next week. After the break, The Righteous Gemstone star and executive producer, Danny McBride. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. with Game Pass. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Danny McBride and the Righteous Gemstones Writers Room began shaping season two of the HBO megachurch comedy in the fall of 2019. They started shooting in March 2020, but after two days, the pandemic halted production. What started as a weeks-long delay soon turned into almost a year, and McBride, stuck in lockdown, couldn't help himself, so he rewrote the entire season. The Righteous Gemstone stars McBride as Jesse Gemstone, the eldest son of the titular megachurch family. The series, which was recently renewed for season three, also stars John Goodman, Adam Devine, Edie Patterson, Cassidy Freeman, and Tim Baltz. That Amber and myself are the logical next leaders. Y'all are not the only married people in this family. Me and BJ are also strongly betrothed and also crushing it. Not a real family. No kids. Slam. I like that one. I don't got time for kids because I'm trying to keep this fresh physique fine. I'm not trying to be all loose and stretched out like Amber's played out pastrami. Hey, do not talk about my wife vagina at church lunch. Do you hear me? It's okay, baby. She's just jealous because her wedding wasn't even real. (gasps) That was cold. Not letting daddy walk you down the aisle. Friday's Ethan Shanfeld recently spoke with McBride about the long-awaited second season and what pivots were made during the show's COVID break. McBride also teased what's to come next year. They began by discussing season two storylines, and Ethan asked McBride where he started in mapping out the season. That's a really good question. You know, we originally started writing the show in the fall of 2019. So we kind of started after we finished shooting the first season, and we wrote it all through the fall of 2019, and then 
finished up the season at the beginning of 2020. And we actually started shooting. We shot for two days and then COVID hit and shut everything down. So then we were shut down. We were thinking it would be for like two, three weeks, you know, it ended up being for almost a year. And yeah, during that time period, I already had the season written. I had it done, but I couldn't like help myself from like picking the scripts back up and kind of going through and yeah, it was sort of how I kept myself sane when I was stuck here in the house with my family for a year. I just started kind of going over these scripts and looking at the story we were telling and making sure we were doing it the best way we could. And we ended up actually doing a pretty big rewrite on the show. I ended up pulling out whole storylines and characters that didn't make it into the season. There are things I'll probably push maybe into this season, but I don't know, with a little bit of perspective and a little bit of moment to kind of rest in between seasons, it just helped me sort of like solidify what I really wanted to do with the season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that that's what kept you sane because I could see it very easily going the other way being like, I went insane because I'd already written the whole season and we started shooting and now I'm sitting here locked inside my house and I can't help myself, but, you know, pick at it. Well, you know, as a writer, I feel like I'll take whatever deadline I can get. I mean, I feel like if I had three weeks to write the show, I would do it in three weeks. If I had three years to do it, I would take a full three years. I'll just take as much time as I can. You know, even when we write this show, it's sort of never really like lock the scripts on. We lock them for production, but we constantly are challenging it. We're constantly like pivoting when things show up on set that were unexpected. We like, we try to take advantage of that as best we can. Yeah. I mean, like you said, nothing is really locked. You have such a great comedic ensemble. How much improv and sort of looseness is there on set? You know, we we definitely encourage improv, but I would say we we probably improv the least on Gemstones of anything I've ever made before. You know, Eastbound, we was heavily improv. I mean, we worked really hard on those scripts, but we would, like, sometimes we'd get to set and, like, maybe do what was written, like, once or twice, you know, and then it would just evolve into us, like, riffing and trying to make each other laugh, which also has its merits. You know, it was fun. But that was a much simpler story because it just kind of revolved around like one main character than sort of some secondary characters. With Gemstones, there's so many spinning plates in the season. There's so many storylines and so many characters. And like you stated earlier, like we, we try to play around with uh, with genre-specific stuff like suspense and, uh, and action. And like part of landing all that stuff, I think, needs is like there needs to be like a swiftness to it. There needs to be you can't you don't have the ability to stay in things for too long. You have to kind of keep the movie and the story, I guess, like moving and, and, and keep it going. So oftentimes, you know, we will improv a little bit, but we would kind of stick more to what was the script because a lot of times it was like the most efficient and funny way to sort of get across what we needed. Now, scenes like church lunch when you have all those characters there and everyone's there we would end up kind of like riffing on those scenes probably more than any other scene because by the time you kind of get in there and you're shooting it you have every character there it starts to become a little bit more apparent how characters would react to lines and you might look over and see tim baltz doing something funny and then the next take we do a run on that or so we don't deny ourselves the ability to improv but you know we encourage it if people want to they definitely can but i found that we end up sticking more to the scripts than we usually do yeah i recently spoke with Edie and tim who both sort of said that one of the great things about season two was starting to learn more about their characters which allows them to sort of expand the way that they play them and i'm curious from your perspective if their portrayal of the character also informs the way that you write them in the future? You know, I feel like uh, it does in the sense that, it, uh, you know, you never want to like play into the joke. Like if, if he does something, if Tim does something or he does something really funny in the second in, in the season, you don't want to kind of get into the zone where you're just like, well, we got to do that version, that joke this season. But, but I mean, the characters, uh, the characters are created by us and them. You know, it's like we write these things and we'll put it in and put those words there for them to do. And then what they do with it, it brings that character to life. So I feel like if anything, I start to learn more about them as actors with each season. And I kind of like in my head, there's just things I want to see them do or things I want to see. I want to push them on even the character, baby Billy. You know, I didn't even know how we were going to use that character in the first season. I just had sort of a vision that I wanted Walton Goggins as like an old man in the show. I just wanted to see him try to do that. There was something about him that I just felt like 
he could do that. It would be funny and it would entertain me. And so I, I weirdly did like camera tests with him as an old man, just to see what that looked like. And then wrote the character from there, you know? So I think some of it is sort of seeing what they're capable of doing, but it's also kind of understanding them more as actors and seeing what sort of stuff you want to see that you haven't seen from them before. Mm-hmm. What were some of the storylines in season two that, that showed up that you didn't originally have or that you expanded? You mean with the with the rewrite when when we did the rewrite of it, or just yeah. just from working with these people with these lunatics? When you went home and started rewriting, what were some of the things that we saw that weren't there before? You know, a lot of the the broad strokes were there for sure. You know, like everyone's like stories were kind of the same, but like how we got there tended like changed a little bit. You know, uh, Eli's story with Junior is probably one of the ones that changed the most. We always had that in there. But it was just not as like clean. There was like other messy elements to it that were causing us to have to plot too much and not be able to have enough fun with these with these characters. So we sort of just simplified it and and tried to get down to the essence of it. Yeah, one of the things I love most about Gemstones is how big it feels. I mean, not only with the cast and you know new guest stars like Eric Andre and Eric Roberts, but also the physical world of the Gemstones feels so vast. And so real. How do you go about sort of conceptualizing this world and making these locations like the amusement park and the church, the restaurant feel so familiar? You know, it's just that's one of the things I love about making a TV show is I love the world building. I like to to try to build this world and to make it feel like a place that you want to spend 30 minutes a week at, you know, uh, and so it's just sort of digging out what this is. And now this show is a lot of fun because they have such obscene wealth that they can sort of do whatever the hell they want with it. And so the idea of, of buying amusement parks and flying to China to do baptisms and wave pools, like as a writer, there's like nothing off the table. You're sort of like, well, this is a dumb idea, but not to them it would be. So you can, it allows you to sort of like embrace well, what would the gemstones spend money on? Like what would be obscene and ridiculous and fun? And it, I don't know. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun writing a world that's this, this big, you know, with Eastbound and Vice Principles. Both of those stories were sort of about characters that were in their mind. They thought they were in a much bigger world than they really were. And this is sort of the first time we've been able to play around with the fact that they are in a massive world and it's as big as they think it is. Have you pitched anything that's been shot down because it's like, we can't do this. This is logistically too hard. Or is that sort of the beauty of HBO that it's just like, kind of do whatever you want? You know, they tr- HBO trusts us to uh, to make creatively sound decisions. You know, there always is the reality of how much money you really have to pull these things off and how you do it. And I think that with that, we tend to learn, we tend to lean into our uh, into our like super talented crew, whether it's Richard Wright, who's on production design or Sarah Trost, who's doing wardrobe and, uh, or, you know, Bruce Brandt, who's doing our visual effects supervising, you know, it's like really getting in there creatively with these artists and figuring out like, how can we pull this off? You know, we're shooting this in Charleston, South Carolina. How can we pull a, an ending in Alaska in the middle of the summer here, you know, and it becomes a mix of digital effects and, and like old school, like special effects, you know, like trying and trying to figure out how to get, what do you really need from these things to sell the scope? You know, what, what, what is, what's important. And so that's kind of the fun of it, I think is honestly, is like every time that you are kind of presented with some sort of limitations is an opportunity for people to sort of step up creatively to figure out, all right, we see that you have this, now how do we realistically pull this off? And, and that part of it is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Each season features this interlude episode, which sort of helps infuse backstory and also serves as like a break in between each season. Uh, How much of the Gemstones backstory did you conceptualize before season one? I mean, do you have like a sort of character Bible with tons of information that we haven't seen on screen yet? Or does the writing sort of just happen before each season? You know, it's a combo of both. I definitely have like a general idea of where it's all going. And I have a general idea of like what has happened before you know the show started but then i think it would be like to me i'm someone who like i don't want to like outline everything so much that it takes some of the fun of writing you know where which is like those unexpected surprises that the characters can present to you so i think we do a balance of both i mean we have an idea of where it's going and where it's been but as we write the season we allow that process to be added to and challenged and expanded 
I must say, usually those flashback episodes in shows can be tough because, you know, finding the right child actors seems tricky, but you really nailed it. How did you find those actors? You know, it was through casting and, you know, David Green has directed both of the interlude episodes. He's also, I feel like, just very, very good with like young talent. Like he, he understands how to get what he needs from them. And yeah, they, they, they blew us away, those kids did. And so we've kept them around. And, you know, what I like about the interlude is that the interludes like are not only like conceptually, they sort of like fill in some of the blanks you need for that season. But they're also like, when you start to look at them on their own, they're also sort of like filling in the blanks of like how the gemstones got here. You know, they're, they are like jumping ahead every few years and filling in more and more of this history. And uh, so to cast that with care, with actors, you know, like Jennifer Nettles and, and the, and these amazing kids. And I don't know, you, you almost want that when you peek into that world, it feels as fully realized as our show that's happening in the present. You know, I want the audience to walk away from those interludes and think, wow, there's the whole show there. I would watch all those people. I think it makes it like a little sadder when you always kind of pull out of those things. But that's how life is, you know, that things were the way they were and things change. And But I want that, that's that window and that peek into the past. I want it to feel so fully realized that you almost kind of like yearn to be back there. Yeah. And with, with Gavin Wilde, who plays young Jesse, do you work with him and sort of help him nail down your mannerisms or how does that work? Gavin, that's all on Gavin. That's all on his own. Like he's, and it was, he was never even given the direction of like, you need to like mimic my deliveries or anything. He really just came in and just like blew us away. We were just like, we couldn't like, it was just sort of like funny in it. I don't know. It was, he just nailed it. And so he just, he, we, we keep bringing him back because we like what he's doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm training him to just take over for me eventually. You know, we'll put a, a McBride wig on and he'll step out and just continue to work for me in my place. He'll be my surrogate. Yes. Yeah. I mean, season 25, it'll be a smooth transition yeah. eventually. Um, one thing I appreciate about the show and has been, you know, praised a lot is it's rather gracious portrayal of religion considering the content of the show. How do you strike the balance of making fun of this mega church lifestyle while also not really mocking religious people or even religion itself to a certain degree? Well, I think anybody who like goes to church kind of knows that like, you know, the mega church thing is really not indicative of like what all religion is like. You know, it's like uh, an example of how it can balloon into something like more alien than what people are like used to. It's definitely like not the sort of church that I went to growing up. You know, I went to church as a kid. I grew up in this world and I didn't go to a mega church. You know, I went to a, a small little like Southern Baptist church in Virginia, but my family's very religious. My, you know, my aunt is a minister. Yeah, I've seen religion work for people in my life that are important to me. And I've seen it not work for people, you know. To me, I feel like religion and what people believe, it's such a personal like choice. You know, I'm not someone, I'm not here with this show trying to tell people what they should or, or shouldn't believe. I've always just been kind of interested in, uh, I don't know, like ironic buffoons. And to me, like somebody who's like making money off the Bible and sort of like living one way and presenting themselves another, it just feels like a classic character to sort of dismantle. Yeah. And, and I do want to talk about this as well, because in an interview with Vulture, you said if the Gemstones didn't believe it's a less interesting show, then they're just con men, which sort of fascinates me. Could you elaborate on that more? I mean, the Gemstones are certainly portrayed as selfish, money hungry. So why is it important for them to actually buy into what they're selling? I feel like it's uh, it's too cynical. You know, it's like when we we kind of like that's a, a similar thing that we did with Eastbound. You know, when we sold that show, it was just based on this idea of like this shitty pitcher, like has flunked out of the majors. And now he's like back in his hometown teaching PE. And we just sort of like, that was what the show was going to be. And we started writing it and Kenny just seemed like such a buffoon that it just, there wasn't anything else to explore there. He's like, well, he's just a dude that sucks and he continues to suck. And then there was a moment where we sort of thought about like, well, what if, 
what if he was good? Like, what if he actually was good at what he did? And that his story is more about that he's like squandered this, that he's had this talent and his ego has like ruined it for himself, you know? And then suddenly it felt like there was actually something to explore there. There was something that like, you know, you know, I hope people don't identify with Kenny, but they can, there's enough to identify with him to make it relevant or make it interesting. And I think, uh, Everybody has a vision of themselves, of a moral code of what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And I think it's a constant struggle for people to live up to these expectations we put on ourselves or society puts on us. And so that struggle, I think, is relatable. So even if you might uh, not be as depraved or as demented as the gemstones, the idea of like struggling to be the best version of yourself is something that I do feel like is universal. Yeah. Pivoting a little bit, there there are some absurdly funny scenes this season. I mean, some that had me like almost crying laughing from the toilet baby, the <laughs> vomiting scene. I mean, one one of the funniest scenes for me was the, in episode one where they're talking about Judy and BJ's Disneyland wedding. <laughs> for you, what were some of the funniest or craziest scenes that when you were writing them, you were like, I can't wait to see this you know, shot? Definitely the, the toilet baby scene, I couldn't wait to shoot because I just had no idea, A, how we were going to shoot it. And then I really, you know, that's what's fun about working with Walton Goggins is just he's such a good actor that it's almost kind of fun to give him stuff that's completely absurd and then see how he'll like, you know, ring truth out of it and make it something emotional. And sure enough, he does it like he pulls it off in this, like as disgusting as the toilet baby birth is. I do get moved every time I see the look in his eyes when he's like looking at his like blue liquid covered son, you know, that was definitely fun. I mean, everything with the listens, I was excited to check out, uh, you know, kind of all of it, honestly, it's like, you know, when you work so hard on this and you're just sitting in your room and or in your office with a handful of people and you're crafting this, there's something so rewarding about stepping onto sets and stages and seeing the world come alive and seeing, you know, these people inhabit these characters and, and watching it all like come out. It's part of what I've loved about like collaborating with Jody Hill and David Green so much is that, you know, my writing staff will put all of our, we'll, we'll create what we think. And then it's nice to have people you trust to then like have them lay their magic on top of it. And it happens from the directors to the actors to, like I said, production designers and set dressers. And uh, every bit of making the show is, is rewarding from the standpoint of a creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely shows. I mean, there's, even when the show is, you know, at its darkest, it, it still feels very fun. And, and build with that sort of energy. That's, I think, ultimately what we wanted to do is like we did want to just give people a good time at the end of the day. And it, it felt like that even more so, I think, when I was when we were doing that rewrite during COVID and, and it was just such a lack of things that were on TV or movies. And I was just yearning so much just to go have fun and go watch something that was exciting and fun. And that's really what we wanted to do with this season. We felt like people have had a long year and it was time for people to get back into some new shit. And we wanted to just try to deliver a roller coaster, basically. Just something where you can laugh and you can cry and you can be excited and you can wonder what the hell is going to happen next. Yeah. My last thing for you, Danny, is from what I understand, you've already started sort of writing season three. What can we expect? You know, I think hopefully more of the same. Like, hopefully we don't drop the ball, you know, like... Deep, diving deeper into who this family is and how they got here, meeting some new characters from the past and the present. It's, uh, you know, just expanding this, uh, this strange gemstone world we've created. That's Righteous Gemstone star and executive producer Danny McBride. You can catch up on the series via HBO Max. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.